0: welcome back to the podcast on binding the bible this is episode 75 revelation serving and being served and the following is a sermon that i preached on july 21st 2019 from luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 And I'm inserting it here because of its connection to Revelation 7's description of the ones who are before the throne of God and who serve him day and night in his temple. Now, I preached this particular message the Sunday immediately after I preached How Do You Read the Law, which I've included in this podcast as episode 49. The themes that surfaced for me during the preparation of both of these messages have profoundly shaped my life as well as my understanding of the gospel. And so I, I referenced that previous sermon in this one as I see a close connection between the two. And so in keeping with my purpose for this entire podcast, we first need to encounter Jesus before we will be used by him to impact others. And so the focus of this message then is simply, we need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others. This message was powerful for me because it helped me see for the first time what the relationship is between being in Jesus' presence and going out and serving him. Both are realities in the Christian life, and yet this passage almost seems to encourage a divide between the two, and it's bothered me for years as to why. I think I found a connection that will be both illuminating for you as well as encouraging. And so I offer you this sermon, both for your spiritual edification, as well as yet another way in which Jesus turns our normal way of looking at the world on its head. And so without any further introduction, here is the sermon, Serving and Being Served. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Lord. Jesus, will you teach us this morning about what you are doing in this short narrative and about what you want to do in our lives? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, despite being only five verses long, this short little narrative is packed with truth. There's so much going on in this passage that we hardly have enough time to talk about all of it. Why doesn't Mary get up and help Martha? Why doesn't Jesus side with the sister who is serving? Isn't serving something we're all supposed to do? What is making Martha anxious and troubled? Are we supposed to see one sister's actions as superior to the other? Why does Jesus tell Martha that Mary has chosen the good portion? What does good portion even mean anyway? Bottom line, what is going on in this passage? And what is its message for us? Well, these are fantastic questions. And over the next 25 minutes, with the help of a few additional passages of Scripture, I hope to provide you with answers to all of them. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I would invite you to open it to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus is welcomed into the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary, we're told, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, a quick glance at this story might lead someone to conclude that serving is a distraction and that what real disciples of Jesus do is sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. In other words, it's tempting to conclude that being in Jesus's presence is the good portion and that serving should really be of less concern to us. Now, I'm not entirely sure the best way to say this, but that is not what is going on in this scene. What's really going on here is far more subtle, far more profound, and far more liberating. Let me show you what I mean. It is not coincidental that this narrative immediately follows the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke has placed them together intentionally. And if you and I wish to be faithful readers of the Bible, we need to pay attention to things like this. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we watched Jesus, with surgical precision, deal with the heart of a man who wanted to justify himself when it came to love. And we saw last week just how deeply rooted many of our own self-justifications can be. How effortlessly we can come up with all sorts of reasons to think that we deserve love in the very places we feel justified in withholding love from others. And even the fact that the law tells us we need to love our neighbors as ourselves doesn't break through our unwillingness to love certain people. For the simple fact that the law could never make anyone righteous. It cannot produce right actions in us just by telling us what to do. Only the presence and power of Jesus, justifying us by his blood, can break through our stubborn hearts. And he does this by stripping from us every self-justifying principle that makes us right in our own eyes and shows us that only because of him can we hope to have God's love directed our way. And once we embrace his love for us in our undeserving state, we will be free to love others in theirs. Now, I bring all of that up to say this. If the subtlety of self-justification, the desire to be right in our own eyes, can blind us to something as basic as love, Is it possible that self-justification can also subtly blind us in our service? (coughs) In other words, is all service good service? In what ways might people's service be driven by a desire to justify themselves? What all under the surface might be going on in the heart of a person who is serving? If we approach our passage this morning with these questions in mind, we may start looking at it a bit differently. What is it about Martha's service that's making her anxious and troubled? What's bothering her so much? Well, if you keep your finger in Luke chapter 10 and turn all the way back to page 4 of your Bible, and by page 4 I mean Genesis 4, we will find a clue in helping us to answer that question. (coughs) Many of you know the story, and you'll be reminded of it when you get there, but it is the story of Cain and Abel. Another story involving siblings. Both Cain and Abel offer worship to God, and God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. Cain gets angry, and his face falls. And then in verse 6, we read this. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, the crouching posture of sin is the subtle belief that the reason my worship or service isn't producing the effect I want is because of someone outside of me. It's Abel's fault. God would have accepted my offering if it weren't for Abel. Or in our passage, it's Mary's fault. I wouldn't be so anxious and troubled if she would just help me out around here. Sin is crouching at the door when it tempts us to believe that the real problems are those outside of me. Jesus, tell her to help me. And why does Martha say this? Because she really believes that Mary's lack of help is the cause of her anxiety and trouble. That if she would just help out, Martha's anxiety would go away. But it won't. Because that's not the problem. And Martha will never cease being anxious or troubled until she recognizes that Mary isn't the problem. The problem is in her. The problem is the presence of sin at work in her heart. Genesis 4, 7 speaks of sin almost as a character in the story, a principle at work that seeks to rule over us, A lion crouching in the shadows, waiting to pounce. A desire that seeks to rule over us, but one that we are told we must rule over instead. And if we are unaware of this principle at work in us, then it makes perfect sense to conclude that our anxiety or our troubles aren't coming from us. They must therefore be coming (laughs) from somewhere else. But if we are willing to recognize that sin desires to rule over us, then we, along with Martha, need to ask, how does our service produce anxiety and trouble? And how does Jesus free us to serve in ways that don't? This is the issue being addressed in our passage. And what Martha needs is to allow Jesus to serve her before she tries to serve others. One of the most subtle ways that sin desires to rule over us is by convincing us that since the Bible tells us we need to serve, then we just need to go out and do it. We need to look for ways to get involved and then get involved. We need to find people who need our help and then help them. We need to surround ourselves with every opportunity available to us. But we find that when we do, there's always more to be done. And we wonder if we're doing enough. And we wonder if we are enough. And we wonder why other people don't seem as concerned about all of this as we are. And we wonder what's at work in their hearts that prevents them from serving as much as we do. And we wonder what God thinks of all of it. And it's exhausting. (laughs) But we find that we can't stop. We are being ruled by something. And it is not a good something. And it makes us anxious. And it makes us troubled. Now this can manifest itself in a number of different ways. You can become anxious when your life starts to feel out of control (coughs) because you are doing so much and you find that it stresses you out. Or you can become resentful of those around you who do not express their appreciation for everything that you are doing. The first uses service to boost your view of yourself The second uses service in the hopes that others will validate your view of yourself. Both cause trouble and anxiety because they both leave you feeling empty and unsatisfied. And that anxiety is produced by the constant reminder that you can't be justified in your attempts at serving Jesus. You never will be doing enough. You never will be in the right. But this isn't the gospel we aren't justified by how well we do at serving jesus actually it's quite the opposite we are justified by how well jesus does at serving us but many people are trapped in the lie that what they are called to do is to serve that it's what jesus expects and so they keep right on stressing themselves out over how well they are doing at it or how hard they're trying And they justify the hectic lifestyle that follows. Because, well, it's good to serve. Jesus wants us to. Isn't the point that we would be good servants of Jesus? Actually, no. That's not the point. And I'll tell you why. Because those who embrace this mindset find themselves, along with Martha, anxious and troubled about many things. And that is not the life Jesus has called us to. Again, it's quite the opposite. Come unto me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not anxiety, (laughs) not trouble, not stress. Rest. We need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others. The place, I think, where this becomes the clearest is in Jesus' most well-known teaching on serving, John chapter 13, where he washes his disciples' feet. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter after trying to wash his feet and getting rejected? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You see, for Jesus to call Peter or any of his followers to serve others, they must first open themselves to receiving Jesus' service to them. (coughs) We need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others. When Jesus said in Mark 10.45 that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, We must realize that he came to serve us, not to be served by us. Until we allow him to truly serve us, we will never understand how he wants us to go out and serve others. That verse in Mark 10.45 concludes this way, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right here, then, Jesus connects for us two concepts, service and giving up his life. Now, many of us know this. We've been taught it all our lives. But if our service produces anxiety and trouble in our lives, then it is service that is not being produced in and through us by Jesus. We're still alive. We're still kicking hoping to receive some sort of good feelings associated with our serving. And when those feelings don't come, either from ourselves or from others, we feel anxious, troubled, discouraged, or stressed. And then to add fuel to the fire, sin creeps right back in and offers us a solution to all of our distress. You just need to do more. You're not doing enough. And when you believe that lie, your anxiety and stress only deepen. What we need is to be set free. What we need is for Jesus to rule over sin for us. What we need is the gospel. And the way Jesus offers us the gospel is by exposing this principle of sin at work in our hearts. And in the same way that Jesus had to draw a lawyer's attention to a Samaritan, he has to draw Martha's attention to the one person in her life that she wanted Jesus to set straight. Mary. But it's important for you and I to recognize that Jesus refers to Mary in order to teach Martha and us a valuable lesson. He's not praising Mary's time with him in silence over against Martha's desire to serve, as if sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching is the real business of a disciple, and serving is merely a distraction. I want you to listen to me. Jesus never says serving is a distraction. He says that Martha is distracted with much serving. The desire to serve is good and right, and all time spent with Jesus will produce in us more of a desire to serve, not less. Sitting at Jesus' feet, then, is not being contrasted with serving. What is going on here is that in Jesus' presence, we learn from Jesus himself what real service is. In his presence, we allow him to serve us, and he strips us away from all the things we like to think are service so that we can truly be free to serve others out of a heart that has been served by Jesus. The reason Mary is highlighted as the one who has chosen the good portion is because she comes as a learner before Jesus so that she can receive from him what it actually means to serve. Why? Because it's crucial to understand that we need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others. All too often, though, we convince ourselves that we already know how to serve. And so like Martha, we just jump right in and start doing it. And many times we are quite oblivious to the ways that self-justifying nature of sin is already at work in our hearts, tempting us to use things even as beautiful as love and service to serve our need to be in the right. And what happens many times is that we end up serving in our own way with our own agenda, fueled by our own motives and they oftentimes do not match Jesus's way (coughs) Jesus's agenda or Jesus's motives but that's not real service and no real fruit will be produced produced as a result of any of it what is produced oftentimes is frustration stress burnout anxiety and trouble hardly the abundant life that Jesus promised to give to us. So then, what do we do? What do we do if we're caught in this mess? A few thoughts. First, we need to see the ways that sin is at work in our own hearts. If we don't see it, we will never be able to live out any other narrative than the one we are currently living. Now, admitting the kinds of things that are going on under the surface might prove a bit intimidating for some of you. But it doesn't need to. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So, if you are caught in a cycle of sin, Jesus has come for you. If you are caught in an anxiety-producing cycle of self-justification, Jesus has come for you. Remember, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He has come to serve. He has come to serve you. So let him. Let him serve you. Let him wash you. Let him forgive you. We need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others. So let him do it. Don't fight him. Don't say to yourself, I ought already to know all of this. I shouldn't need any help along the way that is sin crouching at the door we most certainly do need his help every single day so let him shine the light of his truth into your heart so that he can expose what is there and deal with it himself secondly we need to recognize that the places where our service will be most effective are in the very areas where Jesus has dealt personally with us. The amount of light we are capable of shining onto others will always be in direct proportion to the amount of light we are willing to allow Jesus to shine into our own hearts. If we want to be his servants in the world, we first need to allow him to serve us. And if we want to be his light bearers in the world, we first need to allow his light to shine on us. And lastly, if we need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others, then this changes the way we parent our children. I like this short story because it involves siblings complaining to Jesus about what the other one is not doing. Sound familiar? But notice how Jesus encourages Martha when she is in that, but what about her, mindset. He encourages her to come learn from him. He invites her to allow him to serve her. So parents, when you ask your children to help you clean up after dinner or to clean their room, in other words, to serve, In your house and they complain which they oftentimes do or ask you what chore you've given their siblings to do how should we respond why do our children complain when we ask them to serve well if we need to allow Jesus to serve us before we try to serve others then perhaps part of the reason why they are complaining is because they've not truly understood how Jesus has served them in the ways that you are asking them to serve the family. And so you can talk with them about Jesus' determination to restore order to places that were chaotic, to put things back to the way they were supposed to be. This, after all, is why we clean things up, isn't it, after we use them? Because we want to restore order back to what we have made somewhat chaotic? So you might ask, you might ask your children to look with you at Jesus restoring order at the temple, in God's house, when when it had become corrupt, dirtied, and disordered. No, I'm not primarily thinking of flipping over tables and driving people out with whips, but what I am thinking of is why Jesus does that in the first place. It's because there is disorder here. It is chaos, and he has come to restore order. Why does he do it? The reason he did it was so that you and I could have fellowship with God. Or when you ask your children to set the table for dinner, you might invite them to remember that Jesus set a table for us to enjoy a meal of closeness with him and his Father. These aren't really stretches as far as applications are concerned because, you know, believe it or not, that particular connection is so important for the life of the church that we remind ourselves of it every single Sunday. This is what the gospel does and we all need it and so if at any time you feel anxious or troubled, there are most likely desires going on below the surface that are drawing you to rest or to trust in something other than Jesus ask him what they are be open and honest and vulnerable and when he shows you what's happening Own it, repent of it, and ask him to cleanse you from it. And then receive his acceptance of you in that particular area of your life. Doing so will enable you to be understanding and gracious toward others when you find them dealing with the same things. And you very well may be the one God chooses to serve them because you've first received Jesus' service you. This is what he wants us to see. That real service can happen to others when we have first allowed Jesus to serve us. But in a very independent society, we like not to think we need his service. We like to think that a good, wise, responsible, mature Christian can simply receive the commandments and carry them out. But we know that is not true. If it was, Christ would never have come because the law would have been sufficient to set us free. But it can't. And it is no different in the Christian life than it was prior to you becoming a Christian. Don't get sucked into that trap because sin is most assuredly crouching at every person's door. Its desire is always contrary to you, but the command is, we must rule over it. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But Jesus is the one who has come to defeat sin so that he can set us free.